if you're turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, the title of our lesson is Empty, Empty to be Filled. Empty to be Filled. Which is why that Luke, uh, that uh, Set of Fire song, you know, I want more of Jesus, is such an applicable song that we sung. Um, so Luke chapter 14. Starting in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking a hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then Jesus asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do... They may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married and so my wife won't, so I can't come. (laughs) The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads, country lanes, and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Amen. It's a, a great scripture, and a scripture that we are probably familiar with, uh, the, the parable of the great banquet. Um, and uh, just get sorted here. I've got a new Bible, and it's... Not very bendy, so I'll figure out how to work this thing. I got the large print. My side's terrible. Um, Welcome to getting old. I'm just going to pop that right there. 
I know I'm 27 now, so. <laughs> so. But, um, but, but here we have this setting, we have Jesus, and he's at this prominent Pharisee's house. Uh, and, and, he, and he has this, this interaction which we'll, we'll go through and we'll really get to. Um, but, but this idea of being empty to be filled, we, we've all felt empty at times, haven't we? Where things are just not going the way we planned. We desire more, we desire to be filled, and we look to so many different things for that. Yet, yet the truth is, as we sung, only God really can fill that. It's, it's wanting more of Him. And our God is a, is a God who loves to fill things. We see it here in this passage. We read it throughout the Bible. He loves to give and give the very best, His very Son. And here we have Jesus, and He's been invited to a prominent Pharisee's house, and which means one of the leading Pharisees. So this was kind of like the head honcho guy that they all looked up to. And, and He's there, and then this man with abnormal swelling just so happens to be at this dinner. Jesus heals the man, goes on to tell this parable, the great banquet, and and, and we'll get more into all of that, but but this idea of, of a great banquet was was a theme and an image and a metaphor that was used for hundreds of years, going all the way back to Isaiah. This this image of, of what it will be like on the end day with God. It was an image of of how God will take care of us, how He will fill us. How it will address our deepest needs where, where we can come and be filled. And in a culture back then where you, you didn't just have a supermarket you could go down the road and grab some food. You couldn't just go drive through KFC when you were hungry. You, you didn't know when your next meal would potentially be. So the image of a great banquet would have had such an impact that this is what it will be like with God. And, and I kind of think of it kind of like during the 30th anniversary weekend, we went to Jimmy Spices. Yeah, tell us. Yeah. And it was subsidised by the church and it was, it was great. And, and you go there and you're like, I'm not going to say no to anything. Yeah. And you get the plate and you just throw, even stuff that you're like, yeah, I don't even really like this, but I'm going to put it on there anyway, just in case. If I want four courses of dessert, that's what I'm going to have. And it was just, you didn't have to say no to anything. God's great banquet will be so much greater than that. But it's that idea of just this endless fulfillment from God, not from food and these things, but, but that's the image that he paints. And it also has this strong messianic theme that of, of Jesus' coming, of the great feast of our salvation. And that this great feast is, is open to all. The Jews kind of thought that no, actually, it's not open to all. And in Isaiah, I can't remember the exact scripture, it talks about this great banquet and how it would be open to all. And then over time, as the Pharisees and, and the Jews began to come out with their own commentaries, they actually began to change it. And it was, yeah, the, the Gentiles, that's kind of past who aren't Jewish, the Gentiles will be there, but they'll be there and they'll be punished. And they, they change it over time. And so Jesus is coming here and saying, no, 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 it's open for all. But will you accept the invitation? Will you accept the invitation? But again, sometimes we can be filled up on other things and not God. And this leads us to our first point, which is empty yourself. Empty yourself. And 
So Jesus is at dinner with uh, one of the leading Pharisees and, and, and obviously a bunch of other Pharisees, experts of the law. And, and this scene happened where there's this swollen, this guy with abnormal swelling, uh, also sometimes referred to as dropsy. And it, the, again, the, the Jews would have viewed this as this man must have done something really bad for this to happen to him. But he's there, and why he's there, we obviously don't exactly know. Good chance they probably brought him in to see what would happen. Hence why they are watching Jesus closely. And and here he is, and, and they're watching Jesus closely, saying, what will Jesus do? Because they viewed that this was the Sabbath, and, and it was, in their mind, not in the Bible's mind, in their mind it was a sin. It was, well, you couldn't work, that was biblical, but they viewed healing as work. They, they had all these different rules that like you couldn't work a certain distance. It was just crazy. So they say, what will Jesus do? And Jesus poses a question to them. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they say nothing. They just remain silent. And so he just, he grabs the man, which is like a strong embrace, and he heals him. And then he asks another question. Is it right to rescue an ox or your child when they fall down a well on the Sabbath? They remain silent. And now he wasn't just trying to get their approval for what he did. He's, here he's, he's challenging them. How could you not have compassion on people? How, how could you want to bring this man in to try and test me? This man who's, who's been suffering. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he challenges their character further about how they choose the seats of honour and they think they're the best and and that they they only have people over who will repay them back and it's this sort of, I'll do do you if you do me. Like You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And it was this just always consumed about self. And then it gets summed up in, in verse 11 where Jesus says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. This, this man with abnormal swelling is kind of like a real life parable of what was going on right there. He was the physical representation of what the Pharisees and experts of the law were spiritually. He was swollen. Uh, who knows what exactly that might have looked like. But, but they were swollen spiritually with their egos, with their view of self. That they were so consumed with self that they couldn't see anything else. They, they didn't come to Jesus wanting to be filled, wanting more. They, they said, we're all good. Actually, we've got something for you, Jesus. They, they were already filled up with self. And the swollen man leaves healed and yet these bunch of puffed up, swollen Pharisees leave the encounter unchanged and unmoved. Didn't matter the healing, didn't matter the words that Jesus said, they left unchanged. And it's so sad really because the Pharisees, they were like the experts. They memorised the scripture more than we could even imagine. They, they, they studied the word so much, they loved the word, they were so obsessed with it. Yet here they had Jesus, the word in flesh, and they couldn't see it. How 
how sad is that? They couldn't even admit to Jesus when he's asking them the questions. You're right, Jesus, we're wrong, we're sorry, we shouldn't have done this. They just couldn't. And I think that's really what, what pride kind of does to us. Pride, it, it's kind of like boxing. I think Elliot does a bit of boxing every now and then. But when, when you're a boxer and, and you get hit a couple of times in the face, what happens to your face? That happens. It just swells up and you, you can't even see, you can't see what's going on. And that's what pride does. It, it, we get swollen heads and we can't see the truth for what it is. We can't, and that's exactly what's happened here. And, and, and it's not us looking at the Pharisees saying, oh my goodness, how we too can be like this. We get religious, swollen egos, we begin to think, how great am I? And Jesus is right in front of us telling us, open your eyes, see, see your sin. Repent. But we can't see it. We're too filled up with self. And there's a famous uh, man by the name of Deal Moody who said, The Lord sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. <laughs> Church, we need to empty our egos. Empty self. But I think really first to be able to do that, we, we need to see if we are filled up with self. And I think there's three uh, different signs that, um, that we may be full of self, that you're probably full of self. And, and the first one is, is you watch others closely, what they were doing. They were waiting for Jesus to mess up, hoping he would, and this happens so often. And it's that, that idea of when you're so full of self that you kind of delight when others fall. And you're like, yeah, so... But not, not because they're hopefully going to get humbled and maybe closer, but because of how it will build yourself up. Come on. And we can delight in the mistakes of others. So it makes us look better. We become gossips. Did you hear about that? Did you hear about this? We watch closely. And now I'm not talking about... We need to look out for each other. We need to help one another. This is not about, okay, we just don't... But, but what's the reason? Is it to help each other? Or is it to make ourselves look better? To tear others down? I think even when we, when we watch others closely, we can even begin to think things feel unfair. Why did, why did she get that race? Why did he get that car? Why did they get that house? Why, did, why are people always complimenting so-and-so? Why, why, did, why didn't I get to speak? Why, why not me? And we're so focused on self. We need to run away from that church. We need to run away from that. And secondly, we, we begin to think, you can't talk to me like that. Who do you think you are, Jesus? And even, obviously in this passage, when, when he poses these questions, these piercing questions, they remain silent. But if you remember back to Luke 11, in verse 45, they don't. The teachers will all say, Jesus... When he's going through this, the woes to the Pharisees, they say, you insult us also. Who do you think you are? Why are you doing this? Here they kind of learnt their lesson so they just don't say anything. But they were definitely thinking things. There's no way they could have heard these questions 
and either not gotten humble without thinking who, who do you think you are Jesus? I'm the, I'm the lead Pharisee. You don't get to speak to me like that. And, and we can do a similar thing. Whoa, 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 who do you think you are to give me advice? I didn't ask for it. I'll let you know if I need any help. Or, whoa, whoa I've been a disciple longer than you have. Who do you think you are? Come on. And we can be like these Pharisees. We won't say it out loud, kind of like them, but we'll think it. We'll think it. And church, we just need to get humble right now and just say, you know what, yeah, let, let, let me listen. Amen. Maybe we will be silent when someone comes to us, but, but prayer is because we're self-reflecting and not thinking of excuses and, oh, man, I'm going to set this to the next time. And, no, no, let's, let's listen to each other. Let's not be so consumed with self that we don't listen. And I, I know I, I struggle with this. I really do. And I can remember one particular time I got challenged on something. And it was quite a few years ago. And, and I was such a yes man. I didn't say anything to it. Because I, I didn't want them to think I was proud. But in my heart, oh my goodness. I, re- I really held some things against this one guy. And, and I... And I just want to ignore what he said, make excuses, point the finger back at him. And, but, and, and that's what pride does. It makes us defensive. Yeah. Unwilling to hear correction. But you may be thinking, well, he, I don't know. No one really comes up to me. I don't think anyone's got anything to say to me. Everything seems to be going great. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Maybe it's it's that people don't come up to you give advice or input or because they know it won't end well if they do. Oh, come on. They know they're going to just get bitten back. And, and so they think, I don't even want to try. That's just a whole can of worms I don't even want to open. Church, we, when people come, let's, let's, be, let's be humble. Let, let's learn to listen. Let's not think you can't talk to me like that. And, and third, and again, there's obviously lots of different signs, but another one is, is the, when you catch yourself thinking, it's not me, it's you. Like the reverse of the classic breakup line, right? Mm-hmm. It's not you, it's me, I'm so sorry. It's not, in relationships like that, we sometimes, for some reason, we always go to that, but, but when it's like spiritual, we're like, no, 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 it is you. It's not me. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. This is that Pharisee mindset and and we can do the same thing where we see other people's problems and faults and issues so clearly. We have like eagle eyesight. 2020 vision for them, zero, zero vision for ourselves. And, and, and we, we, need to, we need to self-reflect. So, okay, what, what, about, what about me? This doesn't mean that we don't go to each other and help one another, but... But do we do it in a humble way or in, in an arrogant way? Again, we need to look for, for, the, for, for our, our own faults and situations. Our own issues, how we've affected different things. We all need to be able to own up to situations. It's really ever I'm 100% right and you're 0% wrong. 
Again, it's so easy to fill up on self, on our ego, on arrogance, on, on thinking we know best. It's just our default. But again, it's that verse 11 where Jesus says, don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself. And you will be exalted. And again, this isn't just a, a passive thing that hopefully will happen. No, this is a, this is a direct, uh, an active command that we need to go up and it won't be some magic occurrence just like the, the colours that slowly faded away. On, on, no, this will be something that we have to go after. We have to go after it. We need to take deliberate forethought. And, and, and there are lots of ways to do that. And I think one is, is voluntarily confessing sin. I don't know about you, that's a way that I, I feel humble after that. Just getting open. Even I know at times when I felt competitive with different people, I've just gone to them and be like, I'm sorry, I feel this way, I know I shouldn't. And it's amazing just the, the, the walls drop and oh, this conflict we were having, and oh my goodness, wow, how different it is now. Not waiting for people to come to us, but, but us going to them and oh, what do you think? What, what do you see? And that's something I really want to grow in. Something I really want to grow in. Like, guys, we need to empty self. Empty self. And secondly, we need to empty excuses. Again, so Jesus, he challenges their, their pride, obviously. And, and, and someone blurts out a blessing in verse 15. And um, they say, uh, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And, and these blessings were, were things that... Um, they would say it in certain occasions and they would expect certain responses. They'd probably expect Jesus to say something back like, yeah, um, obey, let's, let's obey the law, let's stick to it, and we'll all be there in, in, in the great banquet. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says, no, there's something you guys aren't quite getting here. And he goes and he tells the parable of the great banquet. And he gives this, this parable where this man throws this amazing feast. He sends his servant out, they invite all these people, and, and they all say yes. And, and, and back in Middle Eastern culture, or just first century culture really, any time in then, it was like a double invitation. The first invitation would go out, people would say yes, no, and, and you would gather back who's coming, and you'd say, okay, this is how many animals we need to cook. This is how much stuff we need to prepare. Because you didn't have refrigeration. You couldn't just store leftovers with microwave the next morning, take them to work. No, you can't do that. It was, that was it. And so how many people said, yes, that's how much you were cooking? And then once the meal was ready, you would then send back out the second invitation. Hey, come, it's ready. This wasn't really like an opportunity to say, actually, I don't, can't make it anymore. But for some reason, these people do. They'd originally said yes, but now time's passed, things have come up, things have come to fill their lives, and they haven't got any space anymore. Uh, back then, I was kind of excited about it, but now, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can make it. And the excuses really reflect that um, what was sort of going on inside and the first excuse oh, I just bought a field I have to go and inspect it yeah look 
I just bought this, I just bought that, I just bought this car, I just bought this house, and I just bought whatever, this holiday home, and, 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 and now I'm kind of going to be busy with that. That emptiness that I had when I said yes to the, the banquet, I don't really have that anymore, I don't think. So I'm okay. And really it's this idea of, of consumerism. Personal gain, possessions, where we, we're so full of the idea that if I just get enough stuff, I'll be content. I'll be happy, I'll be fulfilled. And you just think of, of all the advertisement that we have. It's all telling us you are missing out on something. There's something you don't have. It's telling us you are empty and this will fill it. New shoes, new clothes, new car, new phone. And we buy more and more but we never get full. Because we're trying to fill this cavity in us that that only God can fill. And yet we come to church, we take communion, we do our spiritual things but our heart isn't in it. And this is happening to us in, in this room. This is happening to us. And now we all know, I know, possessions don't fulfill me. Money can't buy happiness. I know that. But, but does our, our heart and life reflect that knowledge? Or does it reflect the exact opposite? Guys, we need to, to empty ourselves of the excuse of possessions. And as we do, as we do that, as people around us see that that our life isn't about getting everything here and now, that that's not where our fulfilment comes from, that we aren't consumed by these things, they'll want to have what we have. Because they've been chasing after that and they know it doesn't fill. They'll see that fulfilment that comes from God and they'll want that. That, that will be our great testimony. That, that a relationship with God is what we need and what everyone needs. The second excuse is I just bought five yoke of oxen, so ten oxen, and, and I have to go try them out. It's not that I don't want to go to the banquet, but there's just too much going on in my life right now. Just made some big business investments. Um, I'm going to be busy for a little bit of time here. Calendar's full, it's a busy season, can't come, I'm really sorry, I want to be there. And this is the excuse of busyness. Now obviously none of us in this room are busy. Well, yeah. No. Not, not the woman. No. Hopefully you're busy, we'll see, but yes. But no, but when you speak to someone, the many people you speak to, they're like, yeah, I'm just not really that busy at the moment. Haven't got much going on. My life is full of just peace and just relaxation. And actually, it's been years since I've actually had to really be busy. Oh my goodness. Now everyone is busy. That's like our default. How are you? I'm busy. That's like our default response. And I think it's linked also to self and all this sort of stuff because we don't want people to think we're not busy. Because everyone else is apparently busy, and so we don't want to be not busy. And, and so we fill our lives up with things. Activities, events, Come on. work, relationships, sports, all these different things. We fill, fill, fill. Because if our lives are full, schedules are busy, our lives 
possibly can, they cannot possibly be empty. Can they? No, not, not so much. And a New York Times article written a few years ago, again, so not a Christian article, like a New York, New York Times article called The Busy Trap said, busyness serves as a kind of hedge against emptiness where we want to feel important. Obviously, your life cannot be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, if you are completely booked and in demand. It goes on to say, we are busy because we dread what we might have to face in its absence. Wow. About, we, we dread feeling empty. And so we go to these other things to fill us up. But they don't. They don't. It's just a hedge against emptiness. It's not a filler against emptiness. And, and, and there's a, a couple of studies that were done, and there was a study a few years ago um, where it said, on average, people watch a thousand hours of TV and shows and movies a year. Which, by the time you are 65 years old, if you go down that path, is 10 years spent watching TV. What? You spent 10 years of your life watching TV shows, Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, if you pay for TV license, BBC and all that. That's a lot of time. We, we fill ourselves up with entertainment and information and, and, and we want to fill ourselves up with the internet as well. That is so much more prevalent today. And it's this idea of this, on average, a study said people spend five hours a day on the internet, on some sort of form of internet, which by the time you are 65, you spend 25 years of your life on the internet. Wow. That's crazy. That's insane that we fill ourselves up. and it, Apparently, 80, 80% of... of um, 80% of smartphone users use check their phone within 15 minutes of waking up. I know I'm one of them. Like who, who here if, uses their phone in the bathroom? <laughs> come on, come on. That is messy. Come on, what's going on? That is so unhygienic. <laughs> but actually, 75% of smartphone users use their phone in the bathroom. Yes, I have. And in fact, it even there was a. I don't know who was saying this, but what was that? Tablets. No. I, that would count. Yeah, that would count. Yeah, it's a big smartphone. <laughs> it's um, and twenty five percent of smartphone users say they wouldn't even go to the bathroom without their smartphone. Wow. Like they just won't go. <laughs> Like, their phone could be on charge, I'm sorry, I'm holding it in! <laughs> it's like a super codependent relationship right there. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in there without my phone. We get, we get too busy, though. We fill our lives up. We get too busy for a relationship with God. Too busy to read our Bibles. To pray. Too busy to come to church or midweek. And you know, it's been great seeing more people come out over the last month or so as we've been doing this bodybuilding. That's it's been really encouraging. But but I think a, a lot of us want to make excuses of busyness. 
Now, I'm not talking about sickness and health. That, those sorts of things are genuine things that come up. I'm, not talking, I'm talking about when we use busyness as an excuse. And I'm just a little too busy. Again, we are all busy. And, and the truth is, is that we all make space for things that are important. So next time, oh, I don't know if I can go to midweek, I'm just really busy at the moment. Instead of saying that, I don't know if I'm going to go to midweek, I'm busy and I just am deciding not to. I'm just choosing that is not that important. This meeting of the body of of believers coming together to to worship God, to love one another, to help each other towards love and good deeds, that's just not important enough to me. Again, I'm not talking about sickness and health, but, but when we let busyness be an excuse. Now, we're all busy. But, but how, how, are our, how are our times with God going? Our times with one another, helping each other. We need to realise that, that busyness is just an excuse. Church, let's empty the excuses of busyness and seek God and His kingdom with all our heart. That will fulfil us. The third excuse is... This guy comes and he says, well, I just got married, so I kind of have to go home. I can't come. I'm so sorry. I appreciate the invitation, but I'm going to go over here to the table of romance. I'm getting my fill over there at the moment. And it's that excuse of romance. This excuse of romance. And really, this is like kind of the best excuse in the story. Like, you almost expect... Like the master would be like, congrats. It was the invite. Like, how did I not know about like I invited you to mine and you didn't invite me to your reception? Come on, what's going on? But you would be like, congrats, that's awesome, wow. But no, it, it's it's not it's not good enough. Choosing romance over the greatest banquet of all time. An eternal relationship with God. Choosing romance over salvation. And you may think, oh, yeah, but I don't. But our world is full of this idea that finding the right partner will fill that emptiness. Find the man or woman of your dreams and you will live happily ever after. Every, not every, 90% of Hollywood movies all paint that picture. Everything will just go great. And, and there's a movie, um, not that I'm endorsing this movie, but there's a movie called uh, Jerry Maguire. There's a famous line in it where he says, you complete me. And the movie ends and we think, oh my goodness! He, she completed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And then all the marriages in the room know that didn't happen. I'm so sorry to ruin all your hopes and dreams. All those, that did not happen. That, no, no human can complete you. I I love my wife. I wouldn't want any other wife. But she cannot complete me. I cannot complete Tia. Tia cannot give me salvation. I cannot give her salvation. Only God can complete you. Only God can fill that emptiness. But we let this creep into the church. To the students, singles, teens, and, and we have people 
leaving God for a relationship. And that's why God gets so angry here. Or the master which represents God gets so angry here. Where he... uh, It says he... Then the owner of the house became, in verse 21, the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servants, go out quickly into the street, find anyone who can get the poor, the lame, the crippled, that he becomes angry because he, he, he hears our excuses and he thinks, that's not good enough. That is not worth missing this banquet. That is not worth it. A relationship that will lead you away from God, lead you into impurity, into immorality, lead you away from God... God said, that's a joke. Do not go after that. We have to empty ourselves of the excuse of romance. We have to empty ourselves of excuses. There are so many things to fill us up on. What are you filling up on? What would be your most likely excuse to walk away from the banquet? No, I don't have any. I'm, I'm pretty okay. Well, maybe it's the... Filling up on self, that's the issue then. Because you don't actually see blind spots and, and areas of weakness. Guys, we accepted the first invitation. Those who of you become disciples, will we be ready for the second? And third and finally and very quickly, the solution is fill up on Jesus. Amen. Fill up on Jesus. The Master, he hates that the banquet might be empty, that there will be empty seats. And this is that image of God, that, that He loves to fill. And we see it uh, at His first miracle where He turns the water into wine and he, there's just more wine than they need. And then He uh, feeds the 5,000. And, and even all throughout the Old Testament where you've got Elisha and fills the jar with oil to the poor widow. And you've got the Samaritan woman. He says, I have water that, will, that you will not go thirsty. A God that loves to fill. Loves to give his very best. Are we letting him fill us? Are we going to him for that fulfillment? We we need to come to Jesus to run to his word. That's a very simple, practical, but that's it. That's what we need to do. To realise that no matter what's going on in life, this will get me through. My my prayers will get me through. God will get me through. And we need to make every effort to be at that great banquet. Because it will not be a banquet to miss. And and because so often we go to the world and and go to the world and try and be filled by the world is kind of like drinking from a cup with a hole in it. And it's just always just, just pouring out. It doesn't fill... And we're always left a little thirsty, a little empty. Whereas when we go to God's word, when we go to prayer, to be filled, when we go to Jesus for that filming, it's kind of like, you guys have heard of 7-Eleven, you've got that here, haven't you? Probably not super popular here, but, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And I'm assuming they have this here in Australia and even in America and stuff, they have a thing called 7-Eleven Day. So the 7th of November. 
And basically, you you can purchase like a slushy or a slurpy. What do you guys call it? Slushy. Slushy. Yeah. You can purchase one of them, and it might cost you I don't know, pound fifty or something like that. I don't know how much those things cost here. But you purchase it, but you get to bring your own container. Wow. And you get to bring whatever you want. (laughs) You can bring a fish tank. You can bring a... People bring like small baby pools and they fill this thing up. You can bring... And and as silly as that is, that's that's what filling up on Jesus is like. You will have your fill. You will not go empty, but we need to run to His words. Run to Him in prayer. Help one another to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we will be there on that end day together in that great banquet where His grace overflows. Amen.